If you would stand and turn to Genesis 45. Genesis 45. Start in verse number 1. Appreciate the youth. Man, a lot of that, that quartet was tremendous. So good. Genesis 45, verse number one. This is just, a, in my mind, a monumental text. And you come to this, and it's almost like you can just read it, and we can go home, because it's so good. And I want to I preach to you and try to mine some things out and try to be a help to you here uh, this evening. But um, let's read in verse number one. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. What a moment in time. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I'm Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. You'd you think they would, wouldn't they? Yeah. And Joseph said unto his brethren, listen to this, come near to me. Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore... Be not grieved nor angry with yourself that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in, in the which there shall neither be ear nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save our lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. What an outlook. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children and thy children's children, and thy flock, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that is in my, my mouth, that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down... Uh, my father hither. This is amazing. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin, Benjamin wept upon his neck. And that's not as amazing as verse 15. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. Whew. For all those who know, and I, would, I imagine most of you, I mean, we're still going to work through some of the background as to where, where, how they got here. But for all of you who know the story of, of Joseph right here, this is like, wow. This is otherworldly. 
This is a man who's not thinking like the people of this earth. This is a man who's thinking much differently. So I entitled the message, um, How to Act Right When It All Goes Wrong. Or, or maybe, maybe this is better. How to act right when you've been wronged. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> it's right here. Thank you. You can be seated. We're going to trust the, the Lord's blessings on the, on the reading of the text. Get started. So many of you here would know the story of Corey Ten Boom and the book that was written, The Hiding Place. I'm, I'm sure that there have been a majority in here who have, have read that, but there's probably some who, who may not have, may not be too familiar with her. But she and her family during World War II would hide many of the Jewish people in a hiding place. They made a wall and people could slide in behind that wall to hide the Jewish people from the looming German army. And so the family, they loved Jewish people and they loved to take care of them and to hide them so that they wouldn't be taken off to concentration camps and eventually be murdered. And so the love for the Jewish people started even 100 years before that in her own uh, grandfather's house, who started in, in 1844 a prayer meeting specifically for the Jews. And, and he was convinced that the Jews were not a nation, but they, that they needed to be a nation. He was convinced that the Bible said that they needed to be a nation. And so he prayed that they would, and he specifically prayed for the Jewish people. And so that love for the Jewish people was uh, uh, passed down in generation to generation there to Corey Ten Boom and her, and her family. And so 100 years after the prayer meeting of her, of her grandfather had started, Corey Ten Boom and her family were arrested by Gestapos for saving the lives and hiding the lives of Jewish people. And, and, and you, many, would understand that she was wronged in many ways throughout this, uh, this section of her life. Uh, even, even before all of this, she was a, a single lady and was in love with a man. And he apparently, I guess, loved her, or so, so is said. But the man's mother thought that this... Uh, that Corey was not in a, a class high enough for him in terms of financially. And so she, she said, I don't agree with that. And I want you to marry this girl. And so he married another girl. And she finds out that the man that she loved uh, is married to another woman. That's wrong. And then there, she's there trying to do right, trying to help God's people and, and hide them. And then the man by the name of Jan Vogels comes to her house and, and feigns as though he's interested in the Jews and finds out that, there are, that they're housing Jews. And so uh, um, just he, he leaves there and he tells the Germans that they're housing Jews and so that they, they come and they, they arrest them. And it's said that she found out later that Jan Vogels uh, um, uh, uh, told on her and others and betrayed them. And, and that, was, that was wrong. And so while she was there in concentration camps, her and her sister and her father would be taken to concentration camps and others, and, and they experienced horrible conditions from the guards and um, the, the housing conditions. They were filled with bugs and, and lice and, and some of the most disgusting arrangements to live in that one could imagine, cramped and, and just outright horrible. And then, of course, the treatment that went on in concentration camps. I don't think I need to go into all that is there, but there was some horrible conditions that they had to endure and that others had to endure, the mocking of guards and all that took place. And not to mention the fact that her sister and her dad and others that she loved so dearly died while in the concentration camp. 
It's wrong. It seems like that, at least. And through this time of her life, she would eventually be released due to a, a clerical error. And the words of her sister, who were, was a constant encouragement to her, kept going through her mind, and, and it was this. We must tell people what we've learned. Seems like they learned something. We must tell people what we learned. And she, her, her sister is now passed, was passed away when she was released, but she's saying, we must tell people what we've learned. And she would travel the world telling people what they've learned. And, and I want to read this to you. This is an uh, excerpt out of her book. At one point along the travels, she said this. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. So she's seen a man that she didn't want to see. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. Suddenly, it was all there. The room full of mocking guards, the heaps of clothes, Betsy's uh, pain-blanched face. He came up to me, as the church was emptying, beaming. How grateful I am for your message, he said to her. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hands was thrust out to shake mine, she said. And her, her hand frozen by her hip. So good to see you. After all he's done to her, after all the wrongs, after all the mistreatment, he sticks out his hand and says, come near to me. Her hand frozen by her side. How could you, how could you forgive somebody who's done such a grievous offense to you? I would imagine that the, the whole uh, time frame of her life and all the wrongs were maybe even encapsulated in this man and she saw him as the one who had maybe done all the wrongs to her and her, his hand is out to her. And how could she forgive, graciously forgive such a grievous offender? And I know and you know, we all know that, that we're supposed to forgive as Christians, but it doesn't make it easy. How can you act right when it all goes wrong? How can you act right when you've been wronged? Because life has a way of taking a turn that we don't expect, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I, I, I don't think that, listen, we, we're in America. We live in a great, a wonderful nation. I'm so thankful for it. But, but we've gone through some financial difficulties and our financial difficulties are nothing compared to what the Sri Lankans and brother, they're facing over there. I don't want to say his name. I, 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 the, the things that they're going through, but, but when it comes to us, it, it's still in our mind, at least, it's, it's bad when we talk about inflation. No, nobody saw inflation coming and said, well, that's good. Nobody saw the gas prices rise and said, well, that's good. And whether it's, it's bad and whether we're in a bad place or not, I can imagine that everybody here said, um, that's bad. That's not good. That's wrong. That's wrong that it's going up like that. And, and there are, there are, are um, unexpected bills that, that take place. There's a loss of jobs and that happen to us. And, and we think that is wrong. That should not happen. I'm doing my best. I'm trying to serve the Lord. That's wrong. And there's 
diagnosis that come across our path. And, and there, I, I understand that there's plenty of people in here, many of people in here who have been given a bad diagnosis and it, and it just seems wrong. And it could be one of your family members and it says, this isn't right. Or it could be your life and you're thinking, no, I, I didn't ask for this. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't the direction that I wanted my, my life to go. This is wrong. Or a death in the family. Come on, we, we experience that unfortunately all the time in our lives and here at Southwest Baptist Church and we go through phases of it and it's like people that we love pass away and we say, that is wrong. Maybe you expected to be married by now and you're single longer than what you thought you should be or, or wanted to be and we think that is wrong. And while life sometimes can, in a sense, wrong us, and, and I know and you understand that it's not wrong, it's just the course of the life that we have and everybody goes through it, we can think at times, um, that's wrong, that's not right, this is not the direction, God, that I wanted my life to go. Why is this happening? And there will be times in life when others wrong you. You can wrong your spouse. And I, I mean, that's just a, a, a part of marriage. Unfortunately, the, the people that we love the most, we, we can wrong uh, uh, all too often. And I, I, I hate it when I, when I do it. I remember, and I'll talk about my early on in marriage because I don't want to talk about, you know, like now. Uh, early on in marriage, I, I used to, man, I, I was so good at reading my, my, my wife's mind. I, I knew what she was saving, saying even when she didn't know what she was saying. It's a gift. <laughs> or so I thought. And she would say one thing and I'd say, yeah, that, I know what you said, but that's not what you meant. This is what you meant. Oh, man. That's like, that's so annoying. And that, that's wrong. And we have the tendency to, to wrong one another inside of a marriage. And we can get cranky and irritable and irrational and unloving and disrespectful. And we can, men, we can be disconnected from our families or our spouses and get connected to sports or a phone and, 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 and we've wronged them. We, we can do that. And there can be um, a trust inside of a marriage that's, that's ruined and, and it can make life-altering effects for you and your spouse and your family and you all of a sudden find yourself going a direction that you never thought you'd go or never thought you'd be in, and, and somebody in your marriage has wronged you. And there are kids, and, and listen, I, I, you know, kids, they're sensitive and they're, they're tender and they're uh, pliable and, and, and they can be hurt easily. And as, as parents, we can make some decisions out of selfishness that can really affect them. And it could be that there's some young kids here today that you're saying, my parents wronged me. And I'm not going to give you specifics as to what it could be because oftentimes most of the things that you think your parents wronged you about is not an actual wrong. But there are legitimate circumstances in which a, uh, parents could wrong their child. And you can wrong one another. Isn't that true? Inside of a youth group, there can be slander and there could be making fun of and there could be irritations and you could, you could talk bad about people and it's like, that's wrong. Work life, you can not get promoted while somebody else who's a, who's a wicked and, and sinful and they don't give their best at work and you know what they do and the boss isn't there, but all of a sudden they get the promotion, that's, it's wrong. And inside of a church body, I, I think that we all understand that we are all flesh and we are all sin, sinners and that we can offend one another, not purposefully, but we can do so and we can hurt one another. You can say something about a family member or you can say something about someone's child and then, and then you, you find yourself one person sitting over here and the next person sitting over here and this person's wrong, this person, and there's tension and, and there's fighting. 
And, and, and if we have to be honest with you, we are not going to make it through this life without being wronged. It's, it's going to happen. And you know what the tendency is for every one of us when we get wronged? The tendency is there for us to get angry and for us to get bitter and for us to eventually quit. And I, and I, I think that you all understand this and I, I've, I've seen it more and more and more, but our society does not know how to be wronged. We don't. I mean, we, you, we, you go to a, 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 the, the youth department, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find one person look at another person the wrong way, and this person's going to lash out at this person, this person's going to say, it's this person's wrong. And they looked at me, and they looked at me, and I know it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. And nobody in this world knows how to be wrong, and nobody is wrong, at least in their mind. That's the way, that's the way it is. I mean, this couldn't be more evident than, than baseball. And you're gonna say, how are you going to work baseball into this? You can work it in anywhere, I'm telling you. I mean, they're trying to ruin America's pastime. Yeah. They're, they're trying to get electronic umpires. Now, now, don't get me wrong. There's some bad umpires out there. But they, like, just because there's bad umpires and, and they call a strike three inches out, outside of the plate doesn't mean that someone can take their bat, throw it down, and start yelling at the umpire. Right? And start demanding electronic umpires. Oh, wait, no. Why don't we just learn how to be wronged? Like, part, don't take that away from me. Part of my enjoyment in watching a baseball game is yelling at the umpire through the TV for a bad call. It's part of my excitement. We need to learn how to be wronged. We've, we've received so much forgiveness, and we ought to do the same. And I'm, I'm telling you, a lack of forgiveness in a life destroys a Christian life. And I, and I want to say this, that you can act right when you've been wronged. And you can act right when it all goes wrong. Because Joseph was wronged. He was. I mean, he was, he was a man that was, that was hated by his brothers. His brothers absolutely hated him because primarily, at first, because his father loved him more than them. And he gave him a coat of many colors. And you all would know that story. But he gave him a coat of many colors and that, that, that started the festering and the hatred of, of their brothers toward Joseph. And so there he is. And all of a sudden, uh, Joseph now is trying to do right. And he's being godly. And God speaks to him in a dream. And he comes to his brothers. And I don't think, I don't think at all that Joseph was kind of some spoiled brat. I don't think that's the case. You know what I think it was? I think that he was excited that God spoke to him. It's like, God has a plan for my life. Look at this. And he runs home and tells his brothers and tells his dad, Look, there's these sheaves of these stars and they're going to bow down. And this is, this is wonderful. God has spoken to me. And the brother's like, you think I'm going to bow down to you? There's no way I'm going to bow down to you. And so then Joseph goes on with his life and his father tells him, Joseph, I want you to go and I want you to talk to your brothers and see how they're doing. And so Joseph goes to his brothers and and, uh, and, uh, and a ways out, there's Joseph and his brothers are there and they, they see him. He goes, here, the dreamer cometh. And they start to conspire about how they're going to take care of him. And they want, they want to murder him. And so they grab him. They rip the coat of many colors off him and they throw him in a pit and they're going to kill him. But Reuben says no for his own selfish purposes. But eventually they sell him to, 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 to Midian and he goes down to, to Egypt and they sell him to Potiphar's house. And you think, look at that situation. And you say, Joseph did nothing wrong. All he did was right. He was obeying God and, and he was obeying his father. And then somebody wronged him. We'd say, that's not right. 
Well, then he goes to Potiphar's house and God starts to bless him in Potiphar's house and he's just following God and he's doing what God wanted him to do. And all of a sudden, a, a lady, Potiphar's wife, comes up to him and tries to seduce him and he gets out of there and he leaves his jacket behind and she goes and tells Potiphar that, that he tried to seduce her and he had been falsely accused and he throws him into jail. That's wrong. That's not right. And so he's there in jail and just the nature of God, he started to bless Joseph again when he's in jail. It's like everywhere he went, man tried to destroy him, but God blessed him. And so he's there in jail and, 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 and the baker, you know, the, the butler and the baker come to him. And they both have a dream and the, and the, and the butler says, man, I had a dream. And I don't even, I don't know what it means. And, and, and Joseph is there and, and he says, oh, I, I, God can do that. And so he tells him the dream and he says, this is the dream. He says, okay, here's what the dream means. You're going to be restored and you're going to go sit with the king. You're going to be back in with the king in three days. And the baker's like, wow, tell me my dream. He says, okay, you're going to lose your head in three days. <laughs> and so after three days, the butler is restored. The baker's head is... And Joseph says this one thing. Just remember me to the butler. <laughs> Just remember. And so you would imagine that the butler would march right back up to, the, to Pharaoh and say, hey, listen to this. Nope. The Bible says that he forgot him. That's wrong. <laughs> it's just so wrong. Until he, Pharaoh has a dream. He has the dream and, and of, the, of the lean cattle and the, and the fatted cattle. And, and, he, and, and Joseph goes, they find out that, that Joseph can interpret dreams. Now this butler comes to his senses and tells him about Joseph. And so they bring Joseph before Pharaoh and Joseph tells him the dream. And he says, here's what's going to happen, king. There's going to be seven years of plenty, a bumper crop for seven years. And then after that, there's going to be seven years of famine like this world has never seen. And so Pharaoh... Uh, took Joseph and he put him in charge of the food and God started to bless Joseph and made him like second in charge and, and he is a big deal in Egypt. And then, two years into the famine, guess who comes knocking? Ten men. And they stand before him and, and Joseph recognizes them instantly. And they don't know who he is. But he knows it's his brothers that stand before him. Those brothers that wronged him. And so he goes through this, this, this section where he, he speaks roughly to him. He says, you're spies. And they're like, no, we're not spies. We're good men. And or our father's at home. And one is without. And one is not here. And, and, we, and we have a brother that is home. But, but, but we're good men. He said, no, you're spies. And he puts them in jail. And so they had a uh, guilty conscience awakening. And they were like, this is because of what we did to Joseph. That's what they said. This, we're, this is happening because of what we did to Joseph. And, and, and Joseph brings them out from the jail and he starts to test them and he, and he would test their, the, if they would take responsibility for their actions and he would test them if they were jealous over Benjamin by giving him a, a bigger portion and he would see if there was going to be this self-sacrificial love which Judah would do. And, and he sent his brothers home and he said, now if you come back here, don't you come back here without your younger brother Benjamin. And so Jacob let him go, let them all go, and they, they came back to Egypt, and, and there is Benjamin standing before him. And you would all remember the story how, how uh, Joseph plants that cup in, 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 in uh, Benjamin's saddle, and they, and they take off, and then they're, they're, uh, their stuff is inspected, and they're arrested, and they, they're all brought back. And he says, now take Benjamin, and you put him in jail. And Judah says, wait! Wait, 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 wait! No. 
If you put him in jail, his brother has, has died. If you put him in jail, it's going to end my, my father's life. I have to bring him back. Please, don't, don't take him. Take my life. My life for his. I'll go to jail. I'll take the punishment. You take Benjamin and then send him home to my father. And Joseph and the, Joseph recognizes that these men had genuinely changed. And then there was, there was something in him that he could no longer refrain himself. And he cries, let every man go out. Can you see all of these Egyptians scurrying out? And he's standing there with, with, his, with his brothers alone. And he's crying. And he says this. It's me. Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, basically said this, it's me, Joseph, who you wronged. And then you'd expect judgment. But he says, come near to me. Come, come near to me. I, and and he, asks, he asks how their father is and and, that, and that, that situation goes on. He says, no, no, no. Don't worry. Come near. Don't be worried. Don't be angry with yourself. Come near. And he would, he would, have, had, he, listen, he would have had every right. And you would think, and I'm in my flesh when I'm not thinking right, and I would imagine you too, because you have the same stuff, a flesh that I do, that if somebody's to wrong us like that, if I was in Joseph's shoes, you know what I said? Hey, hey, bud, I was doing nothing but what God told me to do. And I was doing nothing but what my father told me to do. And you, you sold me into slavery. And you sold me into Egypt. And do you know what I had to endure? I was seduced and, 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 and falsely accused. And I was thrown in jail. And I missed time with my father. And I missed the good old times. I bet when you were at home laughing it up with dad and you we were having meals together. There I was in, in jail, just suffering away. And do you know why? Because of you. And he really could have gave it to him. Oh, no. Not Joseph. He said, come near to me. How could, a, how could Joseph um, graciously forgive such grievous offenders? such a grievous offense. But yet he's all too willing to forgive them. Um, three times in verse 5, 7, and 8, he, he, he says this. He said, he, he said this. No, no, no. Basically this. I forgive you. God did send me. And he says it again. God did send me. No, God did send me. No, this isn't your fault. God, God did it because he wanted to, to save a posterity. God, God did it because he, he loves you and he, and he has a purpose for your life and for your, for your family and, and for our father and for our people. And God wants to, to do something in our family. And, and God preserved my life and your life. And, and it wasn't you that sent us there. It was, it was God. And you don't understand what God has done because there was, there was seven years of, of, of plenty and seven years of famine. And God knew that. And you didn't know it, but God knew it. And God used me down here in Egypt to do something, something absolutely wonderful. And he said this, basically he could forgive, graciously forgive these grievous offenders by trusting that God would use the wrongs for right. God would use those wrongs for right. I mean, we see it in, in the life of Job. You, you think about the life of Job. 
There he is. He's, he's sacrificing and he's doing whatever he can for God. And he loves God and he loves his family. And, and the, the Satan goes before God and says, give me, give me Job. I, I want him. The only reason he's serving you is because you've been so good to him. And God says, okay. And through this, the series of, of events, he says this to him. You can do anything to him, but take his life. And so he takes his money. He takes his stuff. He takes his children. He takes his health. And he took everything he had but his, but his life. And, and what, does, what does Job do? Job, the Bible says, worshipped. And Joseph had a, or, I'm sorry, Job had a bad situation. And, and, it, and it seemed as though it was wrong. But he took this, this, what seemed like a wrong situation. And God used the wrong situation for right. Because God would give him back everything that he had plus more. And, and may I mind, uh, remind you of this. That while the devil wanted to use that to destroy Job. God used it to bless him. And to bless generations and generations of generations of people. Because thousands and thousands of years after that. We are still benefiting from the book of Job. And what God, or what the devil intended to, to use to destroy a man, God, like, like a pawn in his game, smacked the devil over and, and king me. Because this man acted right. He acted right. And then you've got Paul who's in jail and there he, there he is in jail of, uh, just because he's doing nothing but preaching the gospel. He just wanted to preach the truth. And he was put in jail. And then in jail, he, he was there and he penned the prison epistles. And we're still benefiting from them today. How about the, 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 the Christians back in their, their early days where, where they were pre persecuted there and they had to spread and they had to run and they had to flee. And you think, well, that's not right. But yeah, guess what happened? The gospel spread. And because people had to go through some things that weren't right because they were wronged, even though that they were wrong, God used the wrongs for right. And today we stand here in Oklahoma City and, and, at Southwest Baptist Church on 54th and Blackwilder and we can say that and, and, and in this event and a series of others events that we are blessed with the word of God because somebody was persecuted and somebody responded right and they spread out and when they spread out they took the gospel with them. And I can just say that you can act right when it all goes wrong by trusting that God will use the wrong for right. And I understand that there's financial burdens here. And I, and I understand that people get sick. And I, I get it and I know that there are diagnoses that nobody wants to acknowledge or nobody wants to come to. And, and there are people in here who have gone through things that I myself could not understand. But I bet you that if you talk to those people that have gone through death and who have gone through sickness and gone through struggles that only God could allow to happen in their life, they went through it. And yes, it was hard, but they've come out on the other side and they recognize this one thing, that although it seemed wrong, that God used that wrong for right. Because they know things about God that they never otherwise would have known. And they experienced the grace of God in ways that they otherwise would not have known. And you can say this. I, I didn't ask for this sickness. But God did send me this. I didn't ask for this trial. But God did send it. I didn't want this for my life. But God did send it. And you can act right when you've been wronged by trusting that God will use that wrong for right. Because the nature of being a human being is that we're going to wrong one another. 
I don't think any, I don't think we should do it on purpose. I don't have a sense that anybody in here wants to do it on purpose. But what I do understand, primarily because I've done it, is that we're going to do it. And, and what the tendency for us is going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be this. Oh yeah, you did that to me. Well, here we go. I'm going I'm to do this to you. You slander me, I'll slander you. Me and my son, we have this thing where we walk around the house. If, 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 I, if I punch him, he'll look at me and goes, okay, you do it to me, I'll do it to you. And we go at it. Then it's wrestling time. And that's for fun. It's not fun when it's in a church. I'm so thankful that, that, that's not, that doesn't characterize the makeup of the Southwest Baptist Church. I'm so thankful that people understand that and they grasp hold. And there's, there's spirituality here. But nevertheless, I would, I, would, I would be wrong to say that there wouldn't be people in here who some may be at, at odds. And you say, well, they wronged me or they said this to my child or, or this person did that. And they're not going to do that to me. No way. Yep. I'd imagine that, that would happen. But you know what we have to understand sometimes? That, that when we're wronged, we have to understand this. God is in control. God is sovereign. And that's what Jacob, Joseph understood. He understood this. That yes, I, you, they had a choice. And they had a decision to wrong him and to send him into slavery. They, they had a decision. They had a choice. But all along, God is sovereignly in control of this situation. And that what was going to take place is that while Joseph was wrong, God was going to use it for right. It's so good. And I understand, and you understand, that there are going to be times in your life and in my life when there are wrongs that take place at the Southwest Baptist Church or in your marriage or with your parents. There's going to be wrongs that take place. But what you need to understand is that God is in control. You don't have to get mad. You don't have to get angry. You don't have to get bitter. How many people have walked out the back of our doors because somebody in church maybe did something to them or, or, or they thought they did something to them and bitterness set in and anger set in and they walked out the back, back door and, and quit? Why? Because they, they didn't have the proper understanding that God is in control and God allowed that to happen and God wants to take that wrong and, and use it for right. He does. And yes, there's going to be a process of restoration, even as it was with, with uh, Joseph, as he's telling his brothers, listen, you, you got to go home and you tell dad that I'm here. And in that, pro could you imagine that conversation? Telling their dad exactly what they did. But honesty is a part of restoration. And so they had to go home and they had to talk to their father and, and they had to say, listen, dad, uh, I got something to tell you. Joseph's in Egypt and here's why. But here's what God has done. And here's what he told us to tell you, that God has used him for a purpose that we didn't fully understand and that he is there and that he has, God has used him to provide food for the entire world. And he has done so to provide a posterity for you, dad, because God said that you are, are, are going to be the seed for his people. And God is going to take care of you. And God is going to protect you. And God has used our own brother to do so. Whew. And so he says, go home and tell him and bring him back. And you're going to live in Goshen. And then he weeps. And he falls on the neck of his brother Benjamin. The Bible says that he hugged him. Could you just imagine that reunion? Benjamin didn't do anything to wrong him. Benjamin was home with dad. 
And, and, and there he is, falling on the neck of his, of his brother, weeping and kissing him. And he pulls back, and there's ten more. It'd be in us to say, away with them. But he extends his arm and says, come, come near to me. And he falls on each one of his offenders. And he hugs and he kisses one by one. And he weeps on every one of them. One by one by one by one. <laughs> All the way down the line. And then he says, and the Bible says this, which I love it. And then his brothers talked with him after that. <laughs> Could you imagine? The fear that existed in his brothers. And then he falls on their neck, hugs and kisses, and there's unity once again. And even in chapter 50, I believe it's chapter 50, his brothers came back after Jacob died. And they were afraid. Uh, Dad said not to kill us. <laughs> That's what they said. And the Bible says that he spoke kindly unto them. Man, I love that. He spoke kindly. It's like, brothers, it's over. It, it doesn't matter. Even if you didn't come and ask me for forgiveness, it's over. It, it doesn't matter how you respond. I, I've forgiven you. And he spoke kindly. And he extended his arm and said, come near to me. And so the SS guard had his arm outstretched. And there is Corey Ten Boom with her arm frozen by her hip. She said this, And I, who had preached so often to the people of Blumendahl, the need to forgive, keep my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. Again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healings hinge, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. It makes me think, if we have been forgiven, I think it's only right that we would forgive and that we would extend that arm of forgiveness regardless as to how they respond and to say, come near unto me. I wonder if there's some marriages and maybe you need to get with your spouse and say, come near to me. And maybe you've been offended. Maybe you've been wronged inside of your marriage. And yeah, it's functional, but there's hurt and there's pain. 
I just wonder if God wants to use that wrong for right. He could never do that. He does that (laughs) over and over and over again. I wonder if there's some teenagers here who you're struggling with some decisions that your parents have made and and you just can't seem to forgive them. I wonder if you just need to extend your arm and say, come near to me. I mean, if you've been forgiven so much, certainly we can forgive. And so you and I, we all, we can act right when we've been wronged by trusting that God is going to use that wrong for right. Let's all stand, if you would. As the instrumentalists come, I want to lead us in a word of prayer and then the altars will be open as instrumentalists get in place. If the Lord has spoken to you, I'd encourage you to come. And if if there's a relationship that is unrestored or needs unity and needs restoration, I encourage you to come. Lord, I am thankful for who you are and I'm thankful for the forgiveness that you have so graciously bestowed upon your people. Lord, I am one who, who have received forgiveness at salvation and then even beyond that, Lord, it, sometimes it, it's, it's more amazing how much I've sinned against you after I've been saved than before. And you truly saved me and saved us from our past, present, and future sins when we accepted you as our Savior and you accepted us, Lord. I'm so thankful for that, but God, it would only be right that if, if we have been forgiven of so much and we have offended you and you have stuck out your hand and said, come near and, and received us in salvation, it's only right that we would do so with uh, a people. And, and Lord, if there's some wrong thinking where we have blamed you for circumstances, God, that, that we, can, we can come near to you and recognize not that you've done wrong, but that you've allowed it to help us to become more like you and to be changed into your image. So Lord, help us as a people to forgive others. And Lord, help us to to trust in you that you're gonna use whatever situation that you allow into our life, that you're gonna use it for right. So I pray that you would bless the invitation. Thank you so much for who you are and your love for us. It's in Jesus' name.